0: Many of you may know that in my previous lifetime, I was a college pastor in the People's Republic of Berkeley, California, which was great preparation for coming to Bellingham, Washington. In my experience there, we used to hold different lectures. We would bring professors from nearby universities to come and speak. And it was always a great thrill to bring great professors and have them talk about different elements of faith And one year, we invited the head of the philosophy department from the University of Southern California. His name was Dallas Willard, one of my heroes, and we brought him in to talk about the possibility of moral truth. And as I sat there in early 2001, sitting in a Berkeley um, lecture hall amongst hundreds and hundreds of students, listening to the possibility, the possibility of there actually being moral truth, And I began to have an imaginary conversation with my grandparents, who at that point were deceased. Do do any of you do that? Do you have imaginary conversations with your grandparents? Um, I I knew that they were imaginary the whole time before we get concerned and you want me to go talk to Jeff. Um, So I knew that they were imaginary, but we had this wonderful conversation. And in it, my grandparents, I just thought, what would they think to sit in a lecture hall amongst hundreds of students and hear a lecture on the possibility of moral truth. I think my grandparents would have looked at me and said, why do you need to do that? Isn't that just common sense? Do you really need a professor to make a case for moral truth? And I think in my imaginary conversation, I would have tried to explain to them how the context had changed, how 1940 Arkansas was different than 2001 Berkeley, California. I think that's still true today, in many ways. Um, but Berkeley. 21st century was a different place than 1940 University of Arkansas. And so today we are smack dab in the midst of this pulpit swap. And today, Seth is gonna be preaching at Cordata Presbyterian Church. Jan is gonna be preaching at FPC. And you all have drawn the short straw and you get to hear me talk from Micah 6.8 about the second element of what Micah 6.8, that those who follow God, those who love God, what is required of them is that they do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. And I had another one of those conversations Imaginary conversations with my grandparents as they sat with me and said you're doing a sermon in church about kindness You really feel like you need to stand up at church and talk about kindness? Does that seem necessary? And I would have that same conversation With my grandparents that the context had changed that life was different um, that kindness is actually an important thing to talk about. I've been haunted for the last five years by a psychology study I heard about. It originated at, of all places, the People's Republic of Berkeley. It happened decades ago, and here is all they did. It was a very simple experiment. They hired undergraduate college students to walk back and forth on a crosswalk. They would just walk back and forth in the crosswalk, and then there was a third undergraduate student who was sitting by the side and measuring which cars stopped at the crosswalk and which cars blew past the crosswalk even when there was a pedestrian in the crosswalk we all know I'm expecting we all know if we don't know you are now held responsible when there is a pedestrian in the crosswalk you are not supposed to blow through the crosswalk in your car amen amen we also know that not everyone follows the rules right And so they had a question. Is there anything in common between the cars that stop for pedestrians in the crosswalk and the cars that blow through the crosswalk? Is there anything at all in common with those two groups? And the answer I found, that they found, I found completely chilling. Because here is the answer. The odds that a car will stop decrease three percent for every thousand dollar increase in how much the car is valued. Did you get that? The odds that the car will stop decrease by three percent every thousand dollar increase in value of the car. That means the cars that are more expensive stop less frequently for pedestrians. The cars that are less expensive will almost always stop for pedestrians. And many of you are like saying, wait, 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 wait. You're going to say the same thing that people have for the last 20 years. Ten years ago, people said, but what about hybrid? What about Prius owners? This can't. This can't actually apply to Prius owners. But you know what? It does. What about electric cars? Certainly, this does not this does not go to Tesla owners, but it does. Well certainly this doesn't apply in other countries, but it does. They have redone this experiment over and over around the world and discovered the exact same findings. People who drive expensive cars stop less frequently for those in the crosswalks. So what do we do with this? Well, number one, If you are a pedestrian, please look both ways when you are in the crosswalk. Don't just expect that when you're in the crosswalk, that's a magic bullet. But number two, here's the hypothesis that they came out with, which I find chilling. What if the actual process of gaining wealth and power decreases our kindness and our ability to empathize? What if the actual process of the American dream ends up making people less kind? It would certainly explain our present day culture, would it not? Here's the challenge for many of us. Many of us drive those expensive cars. Many of us have spent a lifetime amassing wealth and power. Could it be That, like those around the world we have grown less kind as we have gained wealth and power CS Lewis says that we don't necessarily need to be taught most of us just need to be reminded let us listen for what does it mean to be people of kindness will you join me in prayer as we listen to God's Word Lord Give us ears to hear where we need to hear, what we need to hear. Help us to encounter you and your kindness. In your name we pray. And God's people said. And Mark will read our first scripture reading. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. Our first scripture reading is Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and it is found on page 866 in the Pew Bible. He has told you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word of the Lord thanks be to God so our text comes from Micah, Micah was a, is considered a minor prophet. that is just shorter shorter books they wrote shorter books that's what makes them minor and it is a pretty typical book it's a book it's a prophet that takes place before the exile and it features pretty typical stuff for the pre-exile prophets it features scathing judgment on the people of Israel, as well as hope and grace all at the same time. Basically, Micah is saying, Israel, you're blowing it. And it's basically a case of greedy and unscrupulous leaders that have led you in the wrong direction. But there will, sue, there will come an exile, but there will be a new Jerusalem. And then we get to chapter 6. It is the beginning. It's a summary of all that God has done. Just this incredible litany of all the things that God has done for Israel. I brought you out of Israel. I rede- brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I've been saving you year after year after year. And then the prophet responds with a powerful question With what shall I come before the Lord? Really just asking, if I really love God, what do I do? How do I live as someone who truly loves God? And the prophet asks, shall I, burn, shall I bring burnt offerings? Should I bring calves, a year old? Should I bring thousands and thousands of rams? Should I bring rivers of oil? Shall I even come with my firstborn child? And the implicit answer to all these is no. And then Micah has this amazing verse. It's simple. We know it. We all know it. He's told us, don't make it too complicated. The response that God requires for those who love God is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. Today is a deep dive on the second one, to love kindness. The word for kindness here is this Hebrew word, hesed. It's a great word, a word that the King James Bible used to translate loving kindness. I love that Compassion Camp has so much about loving kindness that's just an interpretation a translation of the word has it's my favorite description of God if anyone want, if anyone asks me who, who do I think God is I think God is has loving kindness those who love God are called to live in has in kindness to love kindness now the other two have much more action to do justice to walk humbly but the second one says to love kindness now obviously many of us know that love is not just we're not just supposed to feel warm fuzzies whenever we think of kindness it's not about unicorns and rainbows love is this unrelenting faithfulness and loyalty having a deep faithfulness and loyalty toward kindness to lift up kindness, to notice kindness, to encourage kindness, to applaud kindness, to celebrate kindness, to spread kindness, to live kindness. Now obviously there are some intersections. Doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly, there's a connection in all three. It's very difficult to do any one of those without doing the other two. It's hard to imagine justice without kindness. In fact, doing justice is an act of kindness, and all justice should be done with kindness. Amen? When justice is done without kindness, it doesn't often feel very much like justice. And walking humbly involves walking in kindness. If we're walking humbly, we're not thinking about ourselves. If we're not thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about others. So walking humbly, doing justice are all connected to kindness. This passage, in many ways, feels like the response Jesus gives when he's asked what the most important commandment is. His response is that we should love God and love our neighbor. In many ways, loving God and loving our neighbor looks like doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly. Here's the challenge, though. Even though we know how important kindness is, even though we know how critical it is to be people of kindness it is easy to forget. We have learned of kindness since we were in kindergarten. It's part of the preschool curriculum, being kind. But that's the idea of the crosswalk study. It's easy to forget. Will you join me as we hear our second passage? This comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 42. Jesus is speaking with strong words toward the Pharisees. While he was speaking, a Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him. So Jesus went in and he took his place at the table. And the Pharisee was amazed to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. And then the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? So give alms for those things that are within and see everything will be clean for you. Now this is the text I want us to pay a special attention to. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kind and neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Let's listen to that again. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds, but neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Pharisees had gained wealth and power and they had gotten really good at the observance of small things. They were making sure that 10% of their mint was given to the temple, 10% of their herbs. They were making sure that all the small details of their lives were lived up in some righteous observance to ways they were supposed to live. But Jesus said they had neglected the big things. They had gotten so caught up in the little things, they had neglected what are the big things which he said were to do justice and to and the love of God? Which, as we think of the love of God, we're thinking of that Hebrew word hesed, the loving kindness of God. What they had ended up forgetting was justice and the hesed of God. Basically, the Pharisees had started to do all the religious observances, but they had forgotten Micah six eight. They had forgotten what it meant to do justice and what it meant to love kindness. They had gotten caught up in the trees and missed the whole forest. It feels to me like they were asked to bring spaghetti and meatballs and they brought spaghetti and meatballs. The only thing they forgot was the spaghetti and the meatballs. That they had brought everything except for the two most important ingredients in spaghetti and meatballs. So the take home here. What happened to the Pharisees happens to us all the time. The thing that becomes central, the thing that becomes most important, the thing that is central to who we are inevitably slides off to the side. For many years, I was a member here in um, Bellingham of the YMCA. My wife and I jokingly referred to it as the A because you know that the name for the YMCA is the Young Men's Christian Association. But the only thing that really is true now about those are the A's. So we just called it the association because it's no longer about young, no longer about men and no longer about Christian. Nothing wrong with that. But the central elements to what the YMCA used to be are no longer a part of what the YMCA is right now. I say that as a complete fan of the YMCA. So I want to tell a famous story. I don't know if it actually happened or not, but if it didn't happen, it should have happened. 400 years ago in 1631, Shah Jahan lost his beloved wife, Armajand Banu Begum. And the Shah was so distraught that he decided that he would honor his wife by building the greatest mausoleum, the greatest structure, the greatest honoring to his wife that anyone in the world had ever seen. Her final resting place was going to be one of the most stunning buildings of all time we now call it the taj mahal so here's the story that might not that part's all true here's the story that just might not be true but i've always heard it the story goes that 17 years in that the shah would come every day and grieve his wife and every day he would become part of the building of this incredible structure. And every day was just a new challenge and a new adventure in this amazing building. And at one point, it says, 17 years into it, he and the builder were walking through and they found an old box, an old box, which was a casket. And the Shah says, who left this old box in my big, beautiful, grand palace? That needs to be thrown out, as to whereupon someone said, that would be the casket of your wife. And he was like, oh yeah, let's leave that in. The central idea of all that was being created got forgotten in how difficult and challenging it was to build the Taj Mahal. So when it comes to following Jesus, I think many of us, we are Pharisees. We get caught up in the little things. We get caught up in the issue of the day. We get caught up in what's going on. And it's easy for us to forget the big stuff, to forget justice to forget kindness to forget walking humbly we get jazzed up about the issues of the day because they feel important and they are important they are critically important Jesus doesn't say you should not have been tithing your herbs he said you should keep tithing your herbs but you should tithe your herbs as well as do justice and love kindness The issues of the day are important the things that we are about are important they're just not as important as doing justice loving kindness and walking humbly we cannot forget kindness so what does it mean to love kindness I think it could probably look a million different ways kindness we can't define kindness per se We are going to live out and practice kindness in many different ways. But what would it look like to love kindness? To have an unrelenting loyalty, faithfulness to kindness? To celebrate kindness? What would it look like to be truly, utterly kind? Well, certainly the answer to this is our Sunday school answer. I've always appreciated the joke about the Sunday school teacher that said, what has four paws and a big long tail and gathers nuts for winter? And the kids all just looked up and one brave kid put their hand up and said, uh, Jesus, but it really sounds like a squirrel. Um, Sunday school answer, what does it look like? What does kindness look like? It looks like Jesus. I truly believe that everything Jesus did was suffused with kindness. That every word that... Action That everything that Jesus was a part of was kind. Even when he was doing justice. Even when he spoke hard words. Even when he upended the tables. I believe it was done with kindness. I can't imagine it done with the tone of meanness and vitriol. But we only have the words. We don't have the tone. We don't even get emojis in Jesus' words. We just get the words. And incidentally, I would just add, that is why hard conversations should always take place face-to-face. I don't believe texting or email is a good way to do a hard conversation because we cannot hear the tone that was in there. Kindness matters, and we are called to live with kindness. I believe we can say hard words with kindness. I believe we can speak difficult truth with kindness. I believe that we can establish healthy boundaries with kindness kindness. In fact, I have found that when hard words are spoken to me with kindness, I receive them better than when hard words are spoken without kindness. But so here is our challenge. We live right now, people of 2021, we live right now in a time that feels very unkind. We live in a time in our history that feels distinctly unkind. I actually expect that the Civil War was a time of greater unkindness in our country. But in my own lifetime, it feels like we are in a season that feels less kind than any season I have lived in up till now. But here is the reality. We are not told to be kind to those who are kind to us. We are told to be kind, to love kindness. And that means being kind to those who are not kind to us. So here's my question. This is one of the main things we as followers of Jesus Christ are to be about. And so if the church of Jesus Christ were about doing justice and loving kindness in a season of American history that was distinctly unkind, then it would appear to me that the reputation of the church of Jesus Christ would be a reputation of kindness if we were about kindness in a season of unkindness people would know the church for its kindness and when you ask people outside of the church what do you think of when you think of the church and they would say justice and kindness but i need to tell you i have been asking around and that is not the reputation we have the people outside of the church do not think of the church of jesus christ and think of justice and kindness in fact many of them think the exact opposite our reputation is not a reputation of justice and kindness and here is my own personal confession when i think back every day on the places in my life where i didn't that day live up to the life of grace and love that i feel called to live it is almost always a host of unkind words that I am asking forgiveness for. It is almost always just little snarky comments that I love to make. It is a snappy reply. It is a harsh retort where it did not need to be there. Every day I wake up and I know that there are numerous moments and opportunities for me to be kind. And every night I go to bed realizing that I did not meet all of those opportunities for kindness. In fact, some days, I fall incredibly short. So that's what I got. The Bible calls us to love kindness. I wish that I could give you a five-step plan to a kinder life, but I don't have one, because I don't think those five-step plans actually work. I wish I could give you a 30 days, 30 days to a kinder lifestyle. But I don't think there's an easy path to kindness. In fact i have found that when it comes to following jesus rarely is the easy path the one we are supposed to take all i know is this that those who have experienced the grace and love of god and those who love god are called to do justice are called to walk humbly and are called to love kindness so the question that i hope gets inside all of our brains for the rest of this week Do you love kindness? Do you love kindness? Do you notice it? Do you celebrate it? Do you practice it? Do you spread it? Do you welcome it? Do you love kindness? And do you love kindness to the extent that the people around you know that you love it? I have friends who love a lot of things. And I know what they love. I have friends who love biking. I myself love football. Most all of my friends know that. I have friends who love jazz. I have friends who love smoking meat. I have many friends who love beer. I love beer. You cannot get in very long conversation with me without knowing that I love beer and that I love football. It's one of those things that comes up in the conversation all the time because it's something that I love. You cannot talk with Seth And not know that seth loves asher that seth loves stacy that seth loves coffee if you have any conversation with seth you will know these are things these are people these are elements of seth's life that he loves deeply and they enter into every conversation do we love kindness to the extent that the people around us know that we love kindness do we love kindness to the extent that the people know That we celebrate and practice kindness. God does not call for religious observance. He doesn't ask for burnt offerings. He's not saying that we need to bring gallons of oil. He's told us, church. He's told us what is good and what he requires of us. That we do justice. That we love kindness. And that we walk humbly. This week, let's love kindness.